I would like to pose a question to you. And that is going to be the foundation of today's teaching. And that question is simply this. Do you have religion or relationship with Christ? In other words, what motivates you to do what you do in the church, for the church, for the Christian community, as a Christian? Uh, we, we say that we are called to do many things, for example, to reach the lost, to preach the gospel, to spread the good news, to stand for truth. But what is the motivation behind that? Is it a motivation of love? unconditional love, that same love that God displayed towards you, or is it because of religion? The difference between relationship and religion will profoundly impact your life. Most people who are in the church have religion, and few people who are in the church have relationship. Religion is always cloaked in activity. It always masks itself in activity. An endowment of activity, whether it be serving in a certain capacity, doing something, planning something. Don't get me wrong, these are all fundamental parts of the practical side of ministry, but the reality is everything we do should be motivated by our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to look at three people in the Bible who had religion, but they did not have relationship. They had religion, but they were brought into relationship by having an encounter with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the way in which we get that encounter today, because obviously Jesus has risen, he has gone to heaven, is we get that encounter through an experience with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit introduces us to the person of Christ. And that conviction that comes upon the heart of one who is, as we say, born again, renewed, rebirthed, however you want to word it, that transformation that takes place, that miraculous life transformation that only God can do to change a person's heart, their, their outlook on life, their mental capacity, every aspect of their being and life, that can only come by way of the Holy Spirit, and it comes as a result of an intimate relationship. And having that intimate relationship brings upon us a conviction, a conviction to say, you know, God, I want to live right. I want to do right. Now, this doesn't mean that everything changes instantly. This doesn't mean that you won't have problems and issues and challenges. But fundamentally, you will always, always divert back to the fact that you have a relationship with him. And that will become your place of comfort. That will become your place of peace, your place of assurance. And it will ultimately be your place of victory. The first person I would like to look at is a man who was religious. He was a Pharisee. His name was Nicodemus. St. John chapter 3 says, beginning with verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. 
for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So he acknowledges that there is something special about Jesus. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So let's look at this encounter here. This man, Nicodemus, he approaches Jesus because he has really a question. And the question is brought to light in, in that he said he first acknowledges who Jesus is. That's in order to have a relationship with him, we must acknowledge, first of all, who he is. But the revelation of who Jesus is becomes more profound to him. He recognized that there are good qualities in Jesus. He has a good character, that God must be with him. The favor of God is on his life. But there's something deeper taking place here. And he began to approached Jesus and he came by night because he didn't want the crowd to see him. It's an act of maybe fear, maybe humility, maybe both. But Jesus responds to him by saying, truly, truly, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the most interesting thing, and I want to take a parenthetical here with verse 4, is how Nicodemus responds to the statement of Jesus. He says to him, uh, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus has a clear understanding that Jesus is talking about the birth process here and that he's using the natural to communicate a spiritual principle or truth. So the question becomes, how is it possible to be born a second time? And Jesus gives the distinction that I am not talking about the natural birth, but I'm talking about the spiritual birth. For that which is born of the flesh or that which is born natural is natural and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, there is a natural birth and a spiritual birth. So the reason I wanted to take this parenthetical was to bring this first point of deliverance. And that is to people who truly believe that they can lose their salvation. Now, salvation is an act of God's mercy and grace. The Bible says we are saved by grace and not by works. It is not what we do that gets us into 
heaven, but it is relationship. It is an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, that he did die in my place, that he suffered in my place, that he atoned my sins. He made me the righteousness of God by bringing me into a relationship with him. So the question was, can you go into the womb a second time? And more than a question, he was making a point that is not possible. If it is impossible in the natural to be born a second time, how then is it possible in the spiritual to be born a second time? The spirit birth is newness of life. It is an awakening to God consciousness, to the reality that God exists. People who have not been spiritually born again cannot, will not, nor ever can understand spiritual things. This is why the message that Jesus brought, the message that John brought, the message that the apostles of old brought was that you must be born again. Now, no matter what we do in the natural, we can never undo the fact of who our parents are. You can grow up in a home. You can choose to do good. You can choose to live a good lifestyle. You can grow up in a home and you can choose to do bad. You can choose to live an evil lifestyle, but you cannot change the fact that your parents are who they are, nor can you enter back into your mother's womb. So if you cannot lose your natural birth process, how then can you lose your spiritual birth process? Impossible impractical and both impossible. Now, there are people who will say, well, that's a very dangerous teaching because it gives people a green light to sin. No, it does not. This is why the Bible is called the last, particularly the New Testament, the last will and testament of Jesus. In the book of Acts, Jesus told Paul to preach two things, forgiveness of sin and inheritance. So in other words, you can be born again, not acknowledge all that God has called you to do, not do everything that God has called you to do. That will not change the state or the fact that you're born again. But what it will do is cause you to forfeit your eternal inheritance from God. We all have an inheritance coming from God on the other side of life or when life truly begins, because this it's just a dress rehearsal for eternal life. And this is why in the book of Revelation and the 20th chapter, we see on the outskirts of the city, those individuals who are in outer darkness, they have no access to New Jerusalem. This is why Paul said to the Corinthian church, some of you were effeminate, some of you were drunkards, and he goes down this list and he's reminding them that you're not that thing that you used to do anymore, but that be advised, if you choose to continue in that lifestyle, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot reap your inheritance. It would be like wealthy parents who place a stipulation on a child or their children 
in order to reap their inheritance, they must meet these particular set of criteria or stipulations. And the child grows up, they fail to do so. That does not change the fact that they are their parent's child. They will always be their parent's child. But what it does is it causes them to forfeit the promise of inheritance. So as a result of coming into relationship, Nicodemus becomes the disciple who inquires about the body of Jesus at his death. There is no fear. There is no shame in acknowledging the relationship with him. This is what relationship does. It brings you from activity to life. And with life, that which you love, that which you embrace, that which you hold fast to, there is never any shame in it. There's never any fear associated with it. Because Nicodemus recognized the depth of love that Jesus had for him. He came to the knowledge of truth. That was the first individual. The second person I want to look at is a woman. Now, regardless of gender, you can be male or female. It doesn't matter. This transcends gender. You can be a woman and be in the place of Nicodemus. You can be in the church. You can be on the choir. You can be even a preacher and not have sound relationship with God. And herein lies the crisis in the body of Christ. This next woman, Jesus was passing through. And the Bible says in St. John chapter 4, verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria. Then he, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, set thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, Jesus is weary because he's God clothed in the flesh. He walked in humanity to experience everything we could experience within humanity, but yet he is still God, made himself subject to the Father, to the will of the Father. So now he's trans, he's He's, if you will, on a journey going through Samaria, and he stops and positions himself on this well. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto a city to buy meat, unto the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You've heard this teaching before, but I want to point out something here that you maybe have never heard before. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that said unto thee, Give me drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? 
Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered un, and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall never thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of springing, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, he's trying to communicate to this woman, I'm not trying to give you something natural, but I'm trying to give you life and that eternal. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. Neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men are to worship. Now here it is. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh or is coming. I know the Savior is coming, which is called Christ, the anointed one. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. <laughs> There's a lot to point out here, okay? But let's look at this woman's transition from religion to relationship. Nothing with God is coincidental. Everything with God is planned. Everything with God is about his timing. Everything with God is about his purpose. It is not about us. We have to learn to look past ourselves. Jesus was preoccupied with souls. So he comes to this well and he has this encounter with a woman who has a very obvious whorish spirit. There's another revelation to the story about the woman, which I won't get into in this teaching. I'll come back to that at a later teaching to talk about why she ended up with five men and was on her sixth. So she comes to this well. Jesus asked her to give him something to drink. He's challenging her. And he engages her into a conversation. Now, what's interesting to me is, obviously, this woman has been with a lot of men. So, and again, this can be a man. 
we we're talking about because this transcends gender. So I don't want to make this just about the woman. This could be a man who had a horse spirit who was seeking fulfillment in all the wrong places because that's what her issue was. Now, this woman, like many people who go to church, she had an activity every day. She had a place of ritualistic activity, and that was going to that well. Her bragging point was this well was given to us by Jacob. Her bragging point was this was the place that she worshiped. Her bragging point was, who are you and are you greater than this place? Like so many people today, they worship their church building. They worship their church name. They even worship their pastor. But no acknowledgement of relationship with God. Jesus sitting here posed a question to her. Give me something to drink and I'm going to give you something to drink. Now, again, just like with Nicodemus, He's using something natural to communicate a spiritual principle or truth. That water is an essential part of life. No one, no living thing can survive without water. When scientists are looking for evidence of life, one of the key things they look for is water. Can't live without it. It's essential. It's vital. Okay, drink all the soda you want, all the Kool-Aid you want, but you still have to have water at the end of the day. So he tells her, I'm going to give you some water that will get rid of your thirst. But what was her thirst? Her thirst was to be loved. And she tried to find it in men. And relationship after relationship after relationship, there was nothing but utter disappointment and failure until it became a ritual. There are people sitting in the church right now and spiritually speaking, you are thirsty. Spiritually speaking, you are thirsty to be loved and all of the activity that you're doing in the church is not enough to sustain you, it is not enough to fulfill you. Some are burning up, some are burning out, some are giving up, some are leaving out. Now, I want to point out a revelation here that for the first time, this woman engages in a conversation with a man who has no hidden agenda, no hidden motive. He doesn't want anything from her. You say, well, he asked her for water. That was the setup. That was to engage her. Anytime God asks you a question, he's engaging you. Okay, he's trying to lock your mind into focusing on him. He doesn't want to be intimate with this woman, not in a physical way, not even in an emotional way, not even in an intellectual way. He wants to give her what she is looking for, and that is unconditional love. For the first time, she met someone who could tell her, everything about herself. Now, the interesting thing here is that this woman acknowledges she knew Messiah was coming. So she was a believer that one day a Messiah, a savior of the world was going to come and save. Bring salvation, that is, that free gift, that gift that we get not from working in the church, but 
simply from acknowledging a relationship with Christ. But I want to point out something. I want you to notice the position of Jesus. He intentionally places himself at the mouth of the whale. Why is that? Why is Jesus sitting on the whale? Because he's covering that which she was accustomed to. One of the ways that God brings us to him is by shutting things down that we've been accustomed to. Ah, yes. He intentionally blocks the opening of the well. It forces her to have to acknowledge him and to engage him in conversation. But he does it also to keep her from accessing that which in her mind was vitally important. Now, he asked this woman to go call your husband. And again, here's a test of the motivation of the heart. The one thing that can be said about this woman, far and above anything else, is that she's honest. Is that she's honest. She said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you have well said for you have had five. Now, the fact that he says she had five husbands and she said, I had no husband, does not make her a liar. The fact that they were intimate with her in the mind of God made them her husband. It's covenant. So, he says, the one that you're with now is not your husband. And this woman said, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, at the end of the day, this woman goes back to Sychar, and the people of Sychar were known to be drunkards. But she, through her testimony, she, through her conviction, she, because of relationship now, understands that I can be loved without having to sacrifice my body. I can be loved without having to do something in exchange for the love. She's free now from the activity of church, which was drawing water out of the well. You may not be drawing water out of a well. You may be singing in the choir. You may be on the usher board. You may even be on the deacon board and, and all of these other things that we've made up that do not exist. That's another story, another teaching. But whatever your position is in the church, most people do what they do because they're unfulfilled and it brings them a sense of self-gratification, but it still leaves the void of being unloved, deeply, deeply rooted and untapped. So this woman, she meets a man who has no hidden agenda, who tells her about herself, who tells her the truth, in love, who simply asked her for something that would be expected. He's weary, right? He didn't ask her where you live, what's your name, and I'm paraphrasing, what's your phone number? And so much of this is going on in the body of Christ right now with women who are unloved, who just want to know that they are loved unconditionally. And the amazing thing is the fact that Jesus told her 
the truth, he still engaged in conversation with her. He never labeled her. He never called her a whore. He never talked about her sin. He simply pointed out what was going on in her life and that alone brought conviction because she had already been seated with the hope of being saved. She's, she's the one who said, we know Messiah is coming. She's the one who said, I perceive that you are a prophet. So something in her was hoping to be brought out of that situation. But here's the key I want to point out to those of you who are in the church who are enraptured in all of this activity is that when your deliverance come, you have to walk through that door. When God brings relationship, you have to embrace it and know that you're free. The amazing thing to me is, you know this woman carried a weight of shame and guilt. You know she did. Because if Jesus is pointing out that she's with her sixth man now, the whole town knew this. But she goes back with her head up. She goes back with a sense of I am loved. She's go, she goes back with a sense of purpose. There is no shame in her game. And this is what relationship with God will do for you. It will remove the shame and the stain of sin and the guilt associated with it. And it will bring you to the place where you can walk in acknowledgement that God has forgiven me. And if God has forgiven me, you cannot hold that thing against me. She's a changed woman. And evidently something about her changed and was very clearly seen in the minds of those individuals because the whole town followed her. 